The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. What a great topic we have today. The Buzz Make For Me Healthcare. Ooh, sounds interesting. Let me get started. In medicine, we mostly have one-size-fits-all treatments. You know you go to the doctor, he knows what medicine to give you, what treatment, what x-rays to set you up for. These have helped save so many lives and cost efficiently. They're general. They're there for us to have and use. But for complicated illnesses like cancer, I even hate to talk about that. Recently lost a dear family member to cancer just a couple months ago. A standardized approach doesn't always work. And those of you who have touched the lives of somebody with cancer or yourself, you know it needs to be customized one-on-one for each individual case. So let's talk about something new personalized medicine. It's tailored to a specific patient profile. It may be the solution for some people, for some diseases, not for all. It means customizing the medical decisions, the practices, and or the products that are tailored to the individual patient and their condition. Many important questions demand that we answer them first. Will individualized therapies really work? Does the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, have enough knowledge, have enough money, have enough time to individualize these therapies in time? Will these be affordable? Everybody has to talk about money when it comes to health care, unfortunately. And will these personalized medicine treatments be appropriate for every patient and every illness? In other words, when it comes your time to go to the doctor, you'll be able to say, I don't want the standard, I don't want the generic, I want it customized for me. Will you be a candidate for that? Will it be appropriate for the illness that you have? We have a panel of three experts who are going to help us explore and answer this very timely, very compelling and difficult, but maybe promising topic. So let's get started. My first panelist, I'm pleased to welcome Barbara McGann. By the way, she spells her first name like Barbara Streisand, B-A-R-B-R-A. I love that. She's a managing director of research at HFS Research. And Barbara has sent me a quote paraphrased from Michael Rogers. Those of you not familiar, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers is a practical futurist. This is from one of his talks in May of this year. Here's the quote. The future is a point on the horizon toward which we are headed. We can't get to the future right away because there's stuff in the way. We have to tack back and forth around obstacles. Barbara McGann, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. I'm fine. Thanks for having me on the show. 
Wonderful. Thank you for joining me. Talk to me about this very interesting quote. It sounds like Michael Rogers might have a sailing background when he talks about tacking back and forth around the obstacles in and out of the wind. Uh, Interesting quote. Why don't you tell us why you picked it and how it relates to our topic of personalized medicine? Go ahead, Barbara. Well, I think it did appeal to me first because of that vision of uh, sailing. I'm very vis- a very visually oriented person, so I can see how when you're sailing, you've got a point towards which you're going, and you can't always see what it is, but you have in your mind what that destination looks like. And I think that's true for personalized medicine, for personalized health care. We have a vision of what we want it to look like. We want it to be healthier people. We want it to be affordable, accessible, approachable, but, and we know so that that's the general direction we're headed, but there's a lot of stuff in the way. There's obstacles. We've got to um, get around them somehow, but just keep going in that general direction. Thank you, Barbara. Very interesting. You sound optimistic. You sound like keep going in that general direction. Is this something that's already here? Is it on the landscape? Is it on the horizon? How far out? I'm, I'm not asking you to do your predictions now because we do that at the end of the show, but is this something that we can talk about right now? Is it a reality? It's definitely something we can talk about right now. There's uh, there's so many innovations happening today. Uh, we do have obstacles in the way around, um, you know, regulation is a challenge, cost, data, how to manage it, how to collect it, how to make sure it's the right data for the right person at the right time, how to match that with the right therapy or medication. There are a lot of challenges, but there are a lot of people who are very enthusiastic and focused on that vision that they have. And as long as we are all working towards getting in that same direction, I do see uh, that we're going we're gonna to get there. We're going to make it. And I start to see um, some of that taking place even within uh, my own family. So I, I definitely am optimistic about the future and it being sooner rather than later, Bonnie. Thank you. I like that. We like to have optimism on these shows, Barbara. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, and welcome to the panel. Let me turn to your second co-panelist. It's Shabro Malik. He is an Associate Vice President and Head of Life Sciences for Americas and Europe for Infosys. We're always happy to have Infosys, and a shout-out to Pramod Pratap, our panel, our, our uh, topic suggester and uh, frequent provider of topics and speakers here for the radio show. Here's the quote. Shubro Malik sent me a quote from John Brunner. Those of you wondering who he is, who is a British author of science fiction novels and stories. His 1968 novel, Stand on Zanzibar, about an overpopulated world, won the 1969 Hugo Award for Best Science Fiction Novel, and he also won an award for the novel The Jagged Orbit in 1970. I know that's back in another millennia, back in another century, but we still talk about those things. Here's the quote from John Brunner. It's supposed to be automatic, but actually you have to push this button. What an interesting quote. Shubro Malik at Infosys. Welcome. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Thank you for joining us, and a shout-out again to your colleague, Pramod. He's always there with a good information topic for us on healthcare. So, Shubro, you're up. Talk to me about this quote. Why did you pick it, and what does pushing buttons have to do with personalized medicine? Uh, Bonnie, well, uh, you know, when we talk about personalized medicine, uh, it almost feels like uh, we are heading towards a future that has only been described by many novelists like John Burner long back, right? You have all the mm-hmm. genome information sitting, and you push a button, and somebody will just magically tell me, uh, this is the medicine you need for uh, us. Fantastic. I love that story. I love that vision. And I'm sure we're headed in that. But I just wanted to, re- I, I found this quote very interesting because it kind of 
still made me sit back and say, you still need good doctors, good people out there to make the right mm-hmm. decisions for you with all the data that's coming in. So there will be a lot of data. There will be a lot of analysis. We will get genome information. But I think this quote kind of reminded me, you still need the best people out there uh, to make this happen. So that's why I found this quote to be very pertinent and maybe a different view of what we will discuss today. Very interesting, Shevro. As I'm hearing you and, and Barbara McGann as well, I'm thinking that I have always insisted that my health care be personalized because of my specific needs. I have some, some fears and some issues, and I remember, I, I think you'll get a kick out of the Shevro, going for a... Um, what was it, a, uh, an MRI once, and I was, in, I was told to, I think it was a back MRI or a neck, spinal injury from a, a car accident, nothing mm-hmm. important, but we needed a report for the, the insurance. Of course we did. This is America. We needed the insurance report to have the MRI. So the, the uh, technician says to me, just slide in, and I'm going in this very narrow tube. My nose <laughs> is three and a half inches from the top. I don't have a big nose, but boy, was this tiny and crowded. The machine, I said, I can't do this, and he said, all right, well, get out and go home. I said, no, no. I said, I'm going in face down, head first, so I could look out the other end, and you're going to move all your little tools and everything around me so that you can get a good view of my neck and spine, and we're going to do it my way. And he said, no. I said, listen, I didn't come all this way for nothing. We're going to customize this MRI. Well, darn it, he did it. He listened to me. He acknowledged my needs. We did the MRI, and it came out perfect. But that, to me, is was the precursor, perhaps, Shabro and panel, of personalized medicine. When you speak up and you say, I can't do it this way, but can we do a workaround? I'm just going to, any comments on that, Shabro, in terms of, yeah. I would let him push the button until I was ready. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I have gone through an MRI machine for a back pain and it's really, it's really claustrophobic in there. And I, I think you did a good thing. You turned around. Maybe the next time I happen to be there, not for the, <laughs> for anything else, but maybe I'll try the upside down way. There you <laughs> Yes, you do need to have push the button. Somebody has to push the button for you, and we need damn intelligent people to do that. That's right. We need people who will listen. Thank you, Chevron. Thanks for indulging my little story there. And let's bring on our third panelist. He is Emmanuel Ziegler. He is the lead architect of the SAP HANA platform for healthcare and life sciences, which makes him perfect for this topic. And Emmanuel sent me a quote from a gentleman named John W. Tukey, T-U-K-E-Y, who passed away in the year 2000. He was an American mathematician and statistician. Those of you into this kind of mathematics may know Tukey for the development of the F. FFT algorithm and a graphical something called the box plot. But I leave that to those of you who want to look up T-U-K-E-Y on Wikipedia. Here's the quote. Numerical quantities focus on expected values, graphical summaries on unexpected values. Emmanuel Ziegler, welcome. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. I'm fine. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to be with uh, you on air. So, um, yeah, this quote I actually uh, like a lot because it basically summarizes the change in paradigm uh, that we currently see. So um, when personalized medicine was created, it was a scientific discipline. We were looking for numbers. We were looking for algorithms. We were looking for the algorithms that give us the right information. But actually, we are going now towards a field where it's not statisticians looking at the numbers, it's actually doctors, and they think in a different way, and they have to treat the patient in a different way. It's not just about numbers, it's about connections. And those connections, I think, you can only see with an actual visual representation, because that's how our minds think. So we have to move away from the pure uh, statistics and numbers 
to visualization to understand the data. So it's not just about to analyze the data, it's to understand the data. Tell me the difference. I think there's a very fine line in there, Emmanuel, a fine line between understanding, visualizing, analyzing. What kind of training would a doctor need to go from just reviewing and analyzing to really getting it? I think that's what you're trying to focus on with the word understanding. Can you just give me a little more, please? Well, obviously, we cannot really um, live without the numbers. We need the algorithms to extract the data because we have way too much data. But mm -hmm. in the end, if we just uh, get the numbers and we just get a system that gives us a recommendation, um, the system will not know everything that the doctor knows. So the doctor has to interpret these numbers. And the easiest way to interpret things is by looking at them and really visualizing them. And we have to combine multiple data sets, and it will not always be obvious um, how to do that with an algorithm. However, a person can make up a theory, can check it, can check the data, can try to see the whole picture, and therefore make a better decision. Thank you. Intelligent interpretation. I appreciate that. Let's go back to Barbara McGann. And Barbara, you know what I'm going to ask you next. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'd like to know a little bit more about you. So what are you drinking right now, if it's interesting? And if not, tell me what you plan to drink later or the best something you drank in recent times. Go ahead, Barbara. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, I'm looking at a half-full glass of a smoothie that I'm drinking right now. And uh, it actually crossed my mind when you introduced the show around uh, nutrition because you know, one of the things that I like about this smoothie is that I find it not just nutritious but filling. Um, I am someone who likes to eat or drink every couple of hours. I can't go on three meals a day. It's got to be more like ten. And uh, so a smoothie to me is kind of filled in all, all the gaps uh, in between the main meals. I like that a lot. I have a little customized uh, smoothie for breakfast every morning, Barbara. It's 1% milk, an ice cube, a little bit of agave syrup, and half a banana. And sometimes I cheat a little and put a little low-fat chocolate ice cream in. But it's very filling. I agree with you. So mine is a milk smoothie. Thank you, Barbara. We all feel healthier right now, don't we, just, just because of our smoothies. And full. It's going to have to last you for the next hour. Shubro Malik. Talk to me. What are you drinking right now, or what's interesting that you like to drink? Well, uh, I cannot follow Barbara, but I'm not drinking anything healthy. I'm drinking a cup of coffee, and it's my second cup. And if you can believe, it's I like the coffee we make in our, mach in our office. It's a coffee by a company called Van Hotte. I'm sure all of you know about it. But mm -hmm. we have this gigantic machine in which to put this coffee beans, and it crushes it out, and it makes this phenomenal coffee. And it has a lot of buttons you have to press before you can get to it, okay? Um, you can get to flavored, unflavored. But the one I like the most is the French roast, really bold mm -hmm. and really strong with nothing in it. So this is my second cup since the morning, and I think I'll have one more after I'm done with the show. <laughs> I'm with you. I love my coffee dark. I love it with, I call it high test, Shabro. Like when you go to the gas station, we used to ask for a high test, yes. the highest quality. I like yes. it just like that, but I have a little secret for you. Don't tell anybody. They don't let me have caffeine when I'm doing radio shows in the morning. So <laughs> I think you figured out why. But I love the way you got the idea of pushing the button in there. I like that a lot. Yeah. Thank you very much. Sounds delicious. And don't have that third cup until we're off the air. Emmanuel Ziegler. I think you're calling in from, where are you? I think you're in, um, what, what country are you in? I know you're using a conference line. So where are you right now? What time of day and what are you drinking, Emmanuel? So I am actually calling from Germany, so close to the headquarters mm -hmm. of SAP. But I'm actually at home in Heidelberg, which is a very pretty city with a beautiful inner town 
very old, very romantic. And, um, yeah, for in Germany it's a little later, <laughs> as you can imagine. So it's already past uh, 5 p.m., so it's a bit late for my morning uh, hot chocolate. So I'm looking forward to a nice beer later, because actually um, I'm a big fan of um, seasonal beers, and uh, currently is the best season for beer from my point of view, because it's my box season, so that's a, a very strong, very sweet, very malty beer. Um, that I really enjoy, and I always look forward every year when the season starts. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Very interesting. We've got an interesting panel today, and we also have some interesting tweeters. We have to do a shout-out to Pramod Pratap, who I mentioned before. At Infosys is tweeting, and Karen Geraldo, here you are. Karen loves our shows. And Karen has some questions for the panel. I'll just drop this question on you. Don't answer it now, and we'll save it for the roundtable. Karen says, can we use wearable technology on live humans rather than researching on animals today now that's a powerful question we'll try to work that into the conversation thank you very much karen appreciate your tweeting and by the way if you'd like to join us on twitter or just see what karen and pramod and others are saying about the show and capturing my panelists words of wisdom we are tweeting at hashtag sap radio you can all spell that our panelists today are barbara mcgann at hfs research shubro malik at infosys and emmanuel ziggler at sap i'm bonnie d graham you're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers, keeping track of us well since October 2011. This is episode number 183, or so when I push the button, that's the number that comes up anyway. We're live. It's Wednesday, May 27th. Where is the year going? It's just galloping away. Our topic today, very interesting one, is personalized medicine, individualized for all, and that all can mean you, anybody you know, and any type of disease or syndrome or anything that's going on in your health. So we have a lot of questions to answer. We're going to give our panelists about a 90-second break. When we come back, Barbara McGann has the honors of kicking off the roundtable. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back, and here we are in Coffee Break with Game Changers, and our topic today is personalized medicine. Is it real? Is it affordable? Can you just go in and ask for it if that's a good idea and it works and it's for you and whatever is bothering you? 
win. A lot of questions to answer. Let's kick off the roundtable with Barbara McGann, Managing Director of Research at HFS Research. Barbara told me in her notes before the show, she said the point on the horizon is healthier people with affordable care to health access when and where they need it. The obstacle, Barbara says, is the data. I'm just going to stop there and let you explain why is data an obstacle, Barbara. Please go ahead. Well, Bonnie, I think it's it's both an obstacle and an opportunity, and that's because there, there's so much data. There's a proliferation of data, and, and right before the break, someone asked about using wearables on humans, and that's mm-hmm. just you know one more way to collect data through the iWatches now, the Fitbits, et cetera, um, but adding that to things like human genome mapping and edible sensors, which are fascinating to me. You can actually swallow a sensor, and it'll see the acid level in your body or um, examine and send back uh, photos or, or live video feeds of organs um, without invasive procedures. I don't know if you ever read the Magic School Bus series, but it's kind of, I kind of get pictures of um, the Magic School Bus where the teacher and the kids in her science class would get in the bus and they'd go on these adventures. And they had this one adventure where they went inside a kid as he sneezed. Um, or right after he sneezed, and, and it went through and it showed all the different organs in the body. But all wow. of this is, is just collecting massive amounts of data on us. And um, and you mentioned earlier um, something about treating the patient is about making connections. And so if we really want to treat the patient for who they are and, and personalize the medicine, we need to be able to use all those data points. And that's where the technology can really come in handy. So the combination of people and technology working together, something like IBM Watson, which can crunch an amazing amount of data and now even um, is being used at Sloan Kettering to provide diagnosis and treatment recommendations that don't replace doctors but work alongside doctors as maybe a second opinion or a recommendation. So it's, it's adding another element of how we can really personalize medicine even today. So the question about is this happening today? Yes, it's happening at Sloan Kettering. It's happening at um, the American Society for Clinical Oncology is collecting data on U.S. cancer patients, mass data, and being able to, to use insights from that data to make recommendations back to clinicians around the U.S. So it's really that combination of people plus technology working on the data, that massive amount of data that's going to help us really personalize the medicine. Barbara, very interesting. Before I invite Chebro and Emmanuel to chime in, question is, who has access to this today? Do you have to be in a major city? Do you have to be in a, a major uh, Tier 1 hospital research setting? Do you have to have money? These are some of the questions I, I asked in the beginning. Is it affordable? Who gets to experience this right now today? People who were chosen for a, a blind study, perhaps? Or is this just, I can walk in and say, hey, I want to swallow that sensor so it shows what happens when I hiccup tomorrow. Uh, how does that work, Barbara? Yeah, it's, it's not quite that easily accessible, Bonnie, but I think that, you know, there's there's two ways. It is more in the um, university setting or the major cities uh, where there's the partnerships. This is really about collaboration between um, research institutions, pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, um, technology companies like IBM. So they're, they're all they're, they're coming together, but they're coming together in, in certain places, in hubs. Uh, and so it is not easily accessible to everybody today. Uh, but for those people who, you know, work um, work hard enough to, to find that route, um, you, you will find it. And a lot of times, too, um, 
going online and and finding ways to uh, to search for answers online is a great way to find where those hubs are and find how to get access to it. it it's not easy. You have to be persistent. Thank you. Keyword persistent. Shibro Malik, join us. Thoughts on what Barbara just shared, please? Yeah, I, I think, uh, Bonnie, uh, I agree with Barbara. Today, finding uh, there is a lot of data that's going to be available from the various devices. You know, we have Fitbits of the world, but I think from a device perspective, uh, we still don't have the kind of devices we will need, but we are getting there. And this kind of data that is coming in, I think the biggest challenge in front of the industry, especially the healthcare industry, is uh, how do you manage this data? How do you make sense of the enormous amount of data that's coming through uh, these devices? And plus, you know, the best thing is with this human genome project, which has obviously been going on for a long time, the cost of uh, genome information has gone down. So you can actually get your DNA sequencing done at a fairly good cost. But the problem still remains. What do you do with the massive amount of data? How do you personalize it? How do you uh, make the medicine work for it? Uh, I think there is hope. There are medicines which are already out there. Uh, you know, a lot of medicines which are coming out in the market, for example, uh, Gleevec from Novartis, which is out there, which is for leukemia. It is based on mm-hmm. some kind of a gene therapy. So it's getting there. Uh, but I think uh, it's, uh, Barbara made a fair point that uh, the accessibility of that information is very difficult. And you really have to be, uh, accessibility of this, uh, rather this service is very difficult, and uh, you really have to be very persistent uh, to get to that point. But yes, there are devices which are coming up. Yes, there is going to be a lot of data uh, that's going to be available for uh, doctors, for physicians to make decisions uh, as we move forward. Thank you, Shibro. I'm reading in your notes, before I bring Emmanuel into this, your notes say the famous Mayo Clinic, we've all heard of it, where many a world leader and prominent business tycoon goes when they have a debilitating disease because they can afford it. They have opened up a series of individualized medicine clinics. So that's one of the hubs, but is that only for the wealthy, Shibro? Yeah, I, I think Mayo Clinic is obviously an example I took because, uh, you know, they have mm-hmm. the money, they have the financial muscle to get it done, but that's not the only hope. I, I think uh, what you will see today, and I would, uh, you know, for people who are looking for it, you can go and read us on this uh, White House blog, especially after uh, President Obama said that, you know, he's going to invest into precision medicine about $200 million, right? Uh, uh, you will find that there are a lot of uh, funding that is coming in from NIH and FDA, uh, and people who are on, in those kind of uh, disease types, which is debilitating and life-threatening, they can actually go in, and there is a lot of funding available to for people in those kind of critical medical conditions to get access to some of this very early, very advanced medicines. And most of these medicines are in clinical trials, or some of them are just about getting rolled out. Uh, so, yes, uh, unfortunate part of this is the medicines are very expensive and uh, it's difficult for people to get access to it. But at the same time, uh, there are avenues available because the industry, the government is willing to uh, put money into it and allow patients who cannot afford it to come in so that uh, there is a way forward for this medicines, uh, this line of medication to go forward. Thank you very much. And I just looked up the news item from January 30th. Obama rolls out plan to invest $215 million in precision medicine this year, an approach to disease prevention and treatment that moves beyond a one-size-fits-all approach. Thank you, Shebro. Emmanuel Ziegler, you've been so patient waiting in the wings here. Thoughts on everything that Barbara shared and Shebro's comments. Please join us. 
Yes, so um, I think when we look at the costs of personalized medicine, um, of course, in the beginning, you will think that the costs are enormous. Uh, you need a lot of um, chemistry, you need a lot of computing power, you need a lot of expertise, and the cost will be quite high. But on the long term, I actually think that it will be cheaper because um, you're not wasting in therapies that don't really work. You can check out the data of all your patients all over the U.S. or all over the world and see which therapies are efficient. So um, you might actually save uh, money on the long term uh, just because you know more about your patients. You know which therapies work. You know more about the diseases. So from that point of view, it's actually, um, I think, a nice outlook because um, the health costs are rising so much that we know we have to change something. And I think personalized medicine might be actually one of the ways um, to get these costs under control in the long term. Interesting. Now, that's something I didn't expect you to say. Barbara, uh, you want to comment on what, Emmanuel? That was very optimistic. On the affordability? Yeah, yeah, that personalized medicine could get costs under control. I don't think I I expected to hear that at all. I expected that it was going to stay high-end, expensive, only for the the thick of wallet, if you know what I mean. So go ahead, Barbara. you, You agree with that? Well, I think that there is potential for personalized medicine making the overall cost of healthcare lower because if you can personalize the medicine so that it's effective, so that, you know, cancer is cured or diabetes is managed uh, more effectively so that um, type 1 diabetics don't have, uh, you know, episodes where they have to be hospitalized. I think if, if um, the, the treatment is so personalized that people mm-hmm. become healthier, then all of the money that we're spending on ongoing treatments or recurrences or rehospitalizations, that money gets reduced, that, that cost gets reduced. So I, I think there is potential uh, for the hot, overall cost of, of health care to go down. Uh, but right now it is, uh, yes, it is very expensive, uh, a, lot of these, a lot of these treatments and drugs. Very interesting. Shubro, comments? Yeah, I, I think it's a very fair point uh, that is being made here yeah, that over a period, uh, uh, the, the cost of this medicine or the cost of overall cost of healthcare will come down if we can find these pills which save enormous amount of money that would otherwise go for treatment. So, for example, uh, there was some study done, I'd read about it a way back, on heart diseases, and if uh, we could save 50% of the cost, apparently it brings back some 600 odd billion dollars uh, mm. from the healthcare cost. But the question really remains to be seen that um, how do these two tie back in? If we were able to set 600 billion dollars somewhere, does it really plow back to the patients and reduces the overall cost of healthcare, or it continues to remain an add-on? Because the healthcare cost, as everybody has seen, is a complex way. Uh, so, yes, precision medicine and personalized medicine does offer that hope. And uh, I think if we can bring it to scale, get all the technologies, everything that's required to make it more efficient, uh, definitely it can save on certain disease types uh, the cost because you don't incur the recurring cost. But it remains to be seen whether it does have a broader impact on the healthcare cost uh, in, in all the dimensions that we can think, conceivably think about. So that still remains a question in my mind. Thank you. A lot of questions here, but also a lot of hope. I think we're getting into some optimistic territory here. Shabro, I'm looking at your notes, uh, some interesting comments here. 
And uh, Barbara, I'm going to circle back to you later, some interesting things that we didn't cover. And then and before I get back to Barbara, we'll go into Emmanuel Ziegler's notes as well. Shubra, you say uh, the background behind this ambitious project, which is personalized medicine, is that every patient is different. And I love your sub-comment here. You say, we kind of knew that. Yeah, I hope we did. I certainly <laughs> hope we did. I hope when, when di- I come from a family of, of MDs, of physicians, and, and I know that they try to treat each patient exactly differently as a unique person. You say, but what doctors and geneticists are making great strides at today is knowing the exact genetic makeup of an individual, from your genes to the microbes living in your body to environmental factors, and you reference that somebody's a pack-a-day smoker and probably somebody is a is an exercise fanatic and somebody loves chocolate and somebody loves kale. So where are we? What kind of strides are we making in this genetic? Who submits themselves, goes to a doctor and says, I want to know my exact genetic makeup makeup, test me, doctor. Are you doing that already? Who's doing that, Shabro? Yeah, I mean, it's happening. I mean, the most widely possibly uh, talked about case today is what Angelina Jolie did, right? Uh, she got a genetic mm-hmm. uh, thing, uh, genetic uh, test done, and, you know, she was diagnosed that she has a possibility of breast cancer and, you know, whatever followed. So people, I think that, again, goes to the Mayo Clinic point that the people who have the ultra-rich, who have the money, they are growing through it. They are getting into more of the preventive care uh, rather than allow the disease type to have an onset in there and then go forward from uh, that point on. So, yes, I think uh, people are making strides towards that. Uh, for example, there are drugs out there today, uh, which is, again, I'll take an example of what we call the immunotherapies, right, which are coming up, mm-hmm. which is essentially uh, re- reengineering your, uh, your body system to fight back or not fight back, as the case may be. And some of these drugs are actually being created where you send in your blood sample with your DNA and your genomic information, and they actually send you back a drug which is for you. So that, mm. for example, in the case of, uh, I think it's, a, uh, it's an example from a T-cell that is made by, I believe, uh, Amgen or Novartis, I think one of those companies, mm-hmm. and you actually get a drug back for yourself, and it's for cancer therapy. So it is happening. Uh, it is exactly happening, and... Uh, I, I kind of mentioned the microbes in there uh, in my comment back to when you had asked for the brief. It's because right. I think there is now an emerging thing that they're trying to bring the map the whole body, uh, not only from an, a DNA RNA perspective, but there is a study going on in terms of uh, what role does the microbes play. And there are millions of microbes in our body, and we really don't understand that ecosystem. But that's, I think, a topic for the future. But they are bringing it together. And all this, I think, at some point in time into the future, and if you believe people like John Brunner, right, uh, mm-hmm. at some point our human body will be just bits and bytes coded into a computer. Hopefully we get there. But we're still <laughs> anyway. Hopefully it'll have a little style, a little color, a little personality <laughs> to it. I have to do yeah. a definition here before I get Emmanuel and Barbara in on this. Microbe, in case anybody thinks the word sounds familiar, you might have forgotten. Microbes are single-cell organisms so tiny that millions of microbes can fit into the eye of a needle. And in fact, they are the oldest form of life on Earth. So go chew on that, everyone. Very interesting. Okay, Emmanuel Ziegler, want to hear what you have to say about what Chibro just shared with us. Please join us. Yes, I do like the the outcome, the vision of this idea. And I think it will be getting there um, hopefully very soon. But we also have to see that there is a big risk that we think once we get all the data together, then we will understand everything. And that's obviously not the case. So we will get all the data on the patient. We will know all its genetic profile, but we still don't really understand what it means. We can collect more data and get a lot of correlations, 
but we will not know what is cause, what is effect, uh, how do these things um, interfere with each other. So data alone will not make it. We have to build up a lot of knowledge on it. And we have been making a lot of progress in the last uh, decades, but there's still a long way to go. And I think um, just having the data available will not cut it. Okay. Barbara McCann, join us. Thoughts on what Emmanuel shared? And sure. I, I, I agree because, it, you know, we, there is a lot of data and there's technology, as you talked about, to crunch the data and, and work alongside doctors to make diagnoses and, and uh, apply medicine and tests you can send in. But um, the, it still is about the knowledge and the experience. And something I read even just last night, what I found really interesting about um, diagnosis and cra- the use of crowdsourcing. So there's this um, organization called CrowdMed, which has just started up, and it uses online, quote-unquote, medical detectives, retired doctors, nurses, medical students, um, former patients, and they all sign on to this CrowdMed. And if you have been un, um, suffering from different, um, uh, different, uh, uh, I don't know, um, you haven't been able to be diagnosed um, for whatever um, challenges that you're having medically, you can complete a questionnaire and share your symptoms and your history and your test results and your treatments and your medications. And these medical detectives... Um, can go through the, that profile and come back with maybe in, maybe some kind of insight that they share. And a, a lot of people have been diagnosed this way. Um, and it comes from the crowdsourcing of experience, but also mm-hmm. from people being willing, which is kind of new, to share their own information online. So we have to change the way that, that we are willing to, uh, to share data about ourselves as well. Interesting. And of course, we get into privacy issues, Barbara, and we get into who wants to share what and what if an employer or a colleague or a family member learns something about you that they didn't know in private conversation or casual conversation and they open up Facebook or somewhere and they read, OMG, I didn't know she had that. I didn't know he had that. That's That sounds like an area that could be very difficult, even dicey, but... Uh, yeah, maybe for the brave, not just the rich, but the brave. I don't know. In the name of medicine, in the name of science, Barbara. Very good point. Shubro, this was your topic we introduced, and I want to get your take on it before I move to some notes from Emmanuel Ziegler. Go ahead, Shubro. Yeah, I, I think um, I, 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 I like what Emmanuel said. You know, at the end of the day, we have a lot of uh, data, and somebody has to make interpret. So I like kind of go back to the comment I made. Somebody has still got to push the button, right? Uh, we'll have a lot of data and we'll be able to synthesize it. And you're right, there are a lot of privacy issues. Uh, there are companies today uh, like 23andMe and Navigenics where you can actually get your uh, genomic information uh, out there. But I, I, will leave, uh, I still believe that, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, this thing that is coming, the data deluge that's coming, our ability to handle the data is a stride in the right direction. And... Uh, the doctors going in today and the physicians and the healthcare uh, physicians, there's going to be a much bigger implication, not just on the precision medicine, but the overall from a healthcare standpoint. So, yes, I think personalized medicine is almost here. I won't say personalized, but precision medicine is almost here. And uh, it is something that has a lot of hope going into the future. 
I appreciate that. And a quick comment here from Karen Geraldo, one of our uh, fabulous tweeters today. She says, data alone will not make it. She's quoting someone here, but she says, enter the data scientists. That's just an interesting comment. We've talked about data scientists and their role and their job opportunities going forward on a lot of different topics. Thank you, Karen. I need to move ahead. Let's see. We've got about ooh, about 16 minutes left till the end of the show. Plenty of time in live radio world. I want to move to some comments from Emmanuel Ziegler in the notes you sent me before the show. Uh, let me just read a couple sentences here, Emmanuel, and, and then I'll ask you to comment. You say personalized medicine will not stop at the medical practices, but will become part of our life, including our diet and sports programs. People won't see these methods as tools against acute diseases only, but also for health and quality of life improvement. Let me just leave that on the table. And let me add something else, Emmanuel, before you you, uh, answer. You say patients would be better educated. We will demand better access to our own data. We're already Googling medical terms. We're already reading notes and letters from our doctors. So your question is, why not give us full access? Access to our own data. We're better equipped now in the 21st century to understand what it's all about. Emmanuel, what are your thoughts? Should we all have full access to full profiles in real lay language we can understand? Or what's your perspective on this? Yes, I think everyone should have uh, access to his own data because um, it's basically, uh, if you cannot see your data, then you are basically not really in charge of it. And it's your data. So, of course, you should be in charge of it. Whether that means that you will understand it is a different question, but you can choose who you share it with. And I like the idea of this, um, let's say, uh, crowd service uh, where you can publish your data and get feedback on it. And I think this will happen more and more because um, the patients will actually want to engage in that. They will want to understand and they will want to ask someone else, maybe even a friend, um, if they have someone who is educated enough to understand the data, um, to work on this. And um, I think just by itself... Um, it will be just such a different way of looking at it because we are taking the the data away um, from the pure science and turning it into understanding the big picture. And uh, for that, I think the idea of having um, data scientists working on it and uh, interpreting the data with different methods, maybe with a different point of view, is very interesting. And as you already said, um, there will be lots of personalized devices available, and it will be something that will be much more personal for um, the individual. So you will have those um, devices that you can swallow. Maybe um, mm. the devices that are wearables will get more and more interesting and leave, um, give better data. And, of course, you will want to take uh, advantage of that data. So you need to have the access to that data, and you need to have access to the software to analyze the data. And then I think it will spread much more. And it will not be only the doctor's practices. It will also be um, health improvement, um, monitoring your fitness, monitoring your diet, um, just feeling better about it. And with this expansion of the personalized medicine from the doctor's office to our everyday life, um, I think Mm -hmm. then will also come the sharing of the data. Interesting. Question for you, Emmanuel, and then for the whole panel. Question is, who is most interested in this, in this getting access? Would this be an older generation like the baby boomers? Would it be millennials? Oh, I got to know what's in my makeup and I can blame my parents and my, I go to my therapist and complain about mom gave me this and dad gave me this and grandpa shouldn't have smoked so much, blah, blah, blah. Is it the middle, middle ages? (laughs) Boy, I'm going out on a limb for that one. But seriously, it, who is is going to be most interested in this? Who's going to be interested, for example, in uh, contacting 23andMe, which I believe Shubro brought up. It's a privately held personal 
National Genomics and Biotech Company, named for the 23 pairs of chromosomes in a normal human cell. It's a saliva-tested testing DNA. So, uh, Emmanuel, who, who are we talking to? Who is the audience for this personalized medicine? How old are they? What gender are they? What's their educational background? Do we have a profile? I think currently the profile is definitely people in their 20s and 30s with a good education that uh, will want to do uh-huh. that. But I think in the future we will also get a different kind of um, user or patient that will be engaged in that because the younger generation is actually much more open to sharing than the older generation. And that will just create a completely new wave of um, dealing with data. And uh, while currently um, I think it will be a smaller group that would be interested in that, I think in the future it will be just much more common because we are used to share data, be it on Facebook or wherever or on Twitter. Um, you just share much more than you used to have. And the new generation grew up with that and finds that normal. And they don't think that much about what if my employer reads this and interprets it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Barbara McCann, thought, talk to me. Agree, disagree? I, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, millennials, those who are, are born into the age of online, uh, this will be automatic. They, they're, they're gonna know what offline is. They, they're just, they're born into a world where they're constantly sharing, exchanging data and just assume that they should have access to the data. They shouldn't have to think about it. Um, for those of us more towards the middle of our life, I think what's going to, to cause us to share more data and be willing to uh, let up that curtain on the privacy, if you will, is when we need to. When we have symptoms that we can't diagnose, when we have seen the doctors and we're getting treatments and they're not working, I think we'll be more and more willing to, to share the data and demand that we have access to it, particularly, too, as we take on more financial responsibility. It's costing us all more, personally, to manage our health and care, and so we're going to care more about having access to the data to make the right decisions on how we're investing in it. Thank you, Barbara. Shubra Malik and Infosys. Agree, disagree? Interesting topic. Well, it's an interesting uh, topic. Obviously, uh, I think uh, the new millennia, they will have uh, no issues with uh, sharing the data, but the more important question I think that you're asking is, what will you do with the data? Uh, sharing is a part more of privacy and things, and I'm sure there will be uh, enough regulations out there going forward about sharing. But the question is, what will you do with the data? And that's, in my opinion, a double-edged sword. Yes, you can go and ask your doctor that I have this, so hence do this, but are you second-guessing the doctor? A great example in, in our little world that we live today of not-so-complicated medicines, right, is uh, mm-hmm. we all know antibiotics don't work for flu and uh, common cold. And yet, everybody goes and has a long argument, especially if it's your kids who are sick with your doctor, telling them, give me the antibiotic, and the doctor will telling you, begging you, this doesn't work. You don't need it. Just let it pass, right? Right. So the question is, uh, uh, the data is very important. It will obviously drive a different behavior. It will come up with new business models. Uh, but the question, uh, but I still believe uh, the data has to be used by the right set of people, which is essentially the physicians, the doctors, uh, who should be interpreting it, and let them make the decisions and not force a decision on them. And uh, a lot of company, a lot of business people will use that in a very different way. Even today, we know that running and eating healthy and having that fruit smoothie, which Barbara talked in the morning, uh, mm-hmm. is very good health-wise. We all know that. But here I am drinking two cups of coffee in the morning and waiting for my third <laughs> cup in about 15 minutes. So I think it's a, it's a debatable topic. 
And uh, I think, yes, sharing of data is not the real thing. The real thing is what are we going to do and what kind of behaviors will it truly generate in us and in the physicians uh, going forward. Very good points. Thank you. We're almost ready for our predictions round, which we call the crystal ball segment at the end of the show. But I have just a couple minutes to sneak in one more topic. Barbara, I told you I wanted to come back to your notes. An interesting comment here. You say another obstacle we face is the lack of relationships and collaboration in the medical industry, healthcare industry. You add physicians, care managers, scientists all have the same intent, but for the most part, they work separately still. So you said the title of this session today is an example. We're talking about personalized medicine instead of personalized health. Barbara, I'm just going to give you a minute to comment, and then I'll add your colleagues on the panel to this conversation. Talk to me, Barbara. Sure. I think, Bonnie, this one comes mostly from personal experience and what I've observed. Uh, you know, I, I think there are great examples like the Mayo Clinic, Center for Individualized Medicine, where they are working together across uh, different uh, what we would think of as silos in terms of physicians, care managers, scientists. Uh, but in, in most cases, um, when, for instance, my daughter was hospitalized recently, uh, she, you know, we had people coming through and phone calls coming on uh, on to us and they were coming from insurance companies and doctors and physicians and residents and pharmaceutical companies who had, you know, um, the right drug to treat her but couldn't because it was tier four, not tier one, and we had to go through mm. four tiers to get to the fourth, and then the fourth oh. is the most expensive, so they have a, um, a financial program to help. And I just feel like, you know, me at the center and my daughter at the center of all this we're trying to deal with her medical diagnosis and treatment, and instead we're getting we're having to deal with trying to network all of these different um, helpful constituents that are not working together and could. I just feel that we need to be more effective in collaborating across health and care and pharmaceutical industries to really be successful in providing that personalized health care at the end of the day. Thank you, Barbara. Is your daughter okay? She's doing very well now. Thank you. Good, good. I wanted a happy outcome to that story. Shubro, I can just give you a, a minute to comment, and then Emmanuel, and then we must launch quickly into our predictions round. Shubro, comments on what Barbara shared about the lack of collaboration in the medical industry? Yeah, I mean, it's a known problem. I, I think mm-hmm. lack of, it's, it's, a no, it's, it's something that we deal with today. Uh, I don't think uh, what we are discussing today here is the silver bullet to that problem. Uh, bringing the payers, the providers, the physicians, and everybody and the pharmaceutical industry into one common view of how to help the, uh, help the patients uh, is the holy grail, I guess, and it is still going to be extremely complicated. Uh, that, I think, is something which will take time to evolve. And the challenge we will have is most of the medicines we are talking about will most likely be a tier four, uh, where you will run into issues of whether it's covered, not covered, and uh, we will need the financial incentives uh, to get it done, at least for the, let's say, the next four to five years at least. Uh, that leads to possibly the crystal ball you'll ask next. Thank you very much. We're almost there. And Emmanuel Ziegler, I'll give you one minute, and then we must go into our predictions. Thoughts on what Barbara and Shibro just commented on? Yes, I think the lack of collaboration is also partly because um, it's how we educated the doctors. So um, we made this more of a competitive uh, thing, and, you know, even the researchers were um, looking for grants and so on. 
Um, so they were competing with each other, and they want, don't want to really share when you're competing with someone. Now, I, my hope is that uh, with the amount of data that we are dealing with, you will want to have access to all the data. So you will have to open up. You will have to share. You will not get the grant if you want to do something on yourself. You will have to open up. So I hope we will see a change in this behavior. Thank you. And more optimism from you. I appreciate that. Okay, Barbara McGann, you're up. Let's do one minute apiece for crystal ball predictions. Barbara, if we met again in the future, and I love the year 2020, I warned you, but you can tell me whatever minute, day, week, time, hour, year you like, what will be different? What will change about this topic at a future time? So Barbara McGann, predictions, one minute, go. Sure. In, in 2020, I do believe that we will have more personalized health care that's more accessible to people. I think we will still have some challenges around the coordination and the collaboration because that takes time, and I do think it will take a generation of online, uh, more uh, personal, personally oriented and changed uh, generation to, to really personalize and individualize from beginning to alpha beginning to end health care and medicine. I do believe, though, that um, personalized health care is, is a, a point on the horizon that's taking shape now. Uh, we're all headed towards it, and everybody has that in their view. And so it's just a matter of tacking back and forth around all the different obstacles in the way and uh, continuing to keep that bright light on the horizon in view. Thank you very much. I like the optimism there. Shabro Malik at Emphasis, one-minute predictions, go. So I think uh, when we talk sometime in the future, it will be more personalized medicines than precision medicine. Precision medicine today is more about a certain uh, group of people. So here is my vision of the future that sometime in the future, in my lifetime and uh, everybody's lifetime, and hope it happens in 2020, is you walk in into the physician's office with your iPhone, and that has your genomic information. The physician looks at your genomic information, uh, prescribes a drug, the drug is sent online to your nearest pharmacy. I hope Walgreens is still there. Uh, and the Walgreens guy has a drug printing machine, and your drug is printed just for you. So I think that would be a fantastic thing that could be accomplished in 2020, and it would be a great topic to talk about that you have a printing machine that prints a drug just for you. So wow. The printing machine will print us cars, houses, chocolate, and now individualized medication. I like I like what that sounds like. Thank you very much, and I'll take the chocolate instead of the meds. Emmanuel Ziegler, I saved one minute for you for predictions. Go. I appreciate the optimism that was just expressed, and I really like the idea of the um, designer uh, drug just designed for you. Uh, you just give your genetic input, you get the right drug, it will uh, cure you, and it will all be fine. I like the idea, but I don't think we'll be there yet in 2020. We'll definitely see that um, we will have a, a big impact of personalized medicine, but it will not be a mass phenomenon, and it will not be uh, as precise yet, I'm afraid. However, I think we will mostly see a paradigm change um, in how we deal with the data. It will go away from being an isolated science, and we'll have to get much more knowledge in. So we need to get computer scientists to improve the the methods. We need to get data scientists to make sense of the data. And I think we will see an opening up of the, um, of the field. 
Thank you very much. You left me just enough time to do some shout-outs. Barbara McGann at HFS, thank you so much. Subro Malik at Infosys, thank you so much. Emmanuel Ziegler at SAP, great insights, energy, passion for the topic. I know I can predict I'm going to invite the three of you back to, and Pramod is going to be knocking on my door in about 10 seconds saying, let's do part two. I know you, Pramod. So shout-out to Susan Rafazadeh at SAP for working with us on this topic, as well as Pramod Pratap at Infosys. Our tweeters. SAP underscore healthcare. Thank you, Pramod. Thank you, Karen Geraldo. Wonderful to see you. Kevin Wolver, welcome to hashtag SAP Radio and Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back tomorrow morning with another live edition of Meet the Visionary Game Changers, our newest series, and we'll be talking about social selling. Does your seasoned AE really need a digital footprint? We'll find out. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer you today. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.